bought a can of Genesee ice as a joke when we were driving through Ohio. And we let it sit in my drummer's fridge for a year because no one wanted to drink it. <laughs> and then finally, uh, I said, fuck this, we're drinking this. It was a special occasion. I don't remember what it was. But we opened it, and I took one sip, and I literally immediately got a hangover. <laughs> just from one sip of it. It was like they put something in it just... You know, but maybe if you're like a homeless guy, that's like that's what oh, you want. Finally, yeah. oh, that's, it's aged like the final. It's a hair of the dog, is. I think. Yeah, whatever that chemical is that just makes you sleep in a dumpster, sulfites or something like that. Anyways, hey, so we're talking to some people here. Uh, why don't you guys? quickly introduce yourselves tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do cool i'm johnny from daredevil pedals here in chicago wow yeah yeah edit put the kiss alive backing track in there <laughs> you are the best oh! uh quentin pointer from qmp audio i do a lot of work with daredevil pedals as well dude super excited to yeah, have you guys here this is yeah. fucking awesome for us studio owner pedal builder guitarists guitar singers man we both sing right. and play guitar in bands. We both sing too. and play guitar in bands. Uh, yeah, recording nuts. What's your what's your you what bands? It. I'm in a band called The Evictions. Uh, Quentin plays in seven bands at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, currently, Wizzo and Liquor Mortis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're all great band names, man. Holy best. shit. Well, hey, this is the Gear Hunks podcast, episode 22. So we're nice. like super fucking professional at this point. Emmett Smith, uh, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Smith. yeah, dude, 22. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. The greatest running backs of all time. Oh, next week's MJ. Shit. Oh, that's going to be a big one. That's got to be our greatest episode. <laughs> Isn't 22 Dave Dewerson, too? Oh, that is Dewerson, absolutely. Just to pull up some old Love school that. bears. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking nonsense. Oh, we're fucking meatballs around here yeah. for sure, so that definitely fits us. I'm surprised Matt I knew Forte. that. Didn't, really he shoot, like, didn't he shoot himself? I think so. He was a CT yeah. guy, yeah. And and I believe he he donated his brain to the cause. It was cool. like, hey, I'm going to kill myself, but also, like, I've got CT, motherfuckers. Check this right, out. Right, like the Junior Seau style, man. So we're oh, two man. minutes into this podcast, and it's already just fucking weird. Yeah, it'll it'll <laughs> happen. That's longer yeah. than it usually takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So might as well do the, do the boring stuff up front. Hey, we've got Instagram and all that kind of shit. Go subscribe to it because that's like, you know, we're, that's how we're making all the, the big bucks here. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, get right into the Ministry of Corrections. Uh, not actually not huge corrections this week, although maybe I guess it depends on how we feel about it, but I wanted to give a little update. We were talking about Bukla reissuing all their, uh, previous synths and I'm, I'm getting real panicked right now cause I'm getting videoed and I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't realizing <laughs> that was happening. Uh, we were talking about the Bukla synths last, or maybe a couple weeks ago, I think, uh, pre-sale has begun three grand, which is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And that's for the fully assembled kit. Like. They've got some DIY version that you can like build your own bukla essentially, which is probably more my speed. Mm-hmm. But three grand's a lot better than I thought it was. Out of the be. box, I think right, I was guessing go. like five six, but yeah. you know, we'll see. Okay, um, I'll get a couple of those. Couple things in, in in what's been a new segment recently, which I'm calling grinding my gear hunks, uh, <laughs> because I came across a couple of things. First of all, one thing that I want to talk about. Maybe you guys know this. Maybe you don't. So I recently read. And talked about the that book that you loaned me, the Fender Bass, and yeah. it talks about the dawn of electric bass and Fender Bass and where all that shit came from originally. I learned a ton of shit, and I've got to be honest, I accepted it at face value. 
Turns out they made some shit up in that book, man. Mm. Uh, this is where I'm calling out the Fender bass book. Wow. Because they they said that when Leo took that bass and tipped it sideways and made the precision mm. bass in 1951, that was the first fretted electric bass. Mm-hmm. And that is just patently false. It's it not true. I, I, I've come across this man named Paul Tutmark who made something called the Tutmark bass. And then there's this Stromberg Electro. that came, Both of these came out in the 20s, by the way. So... I don't really have much to say other than maybe attack you as a bass player for reading <laughs> hey, a book with false information in it. Sure. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's Str- the Stromberg Electro or the Tutmark bass. I could, I'll even post these links because there's some like that one I sent you is like a super fucking long read. Yeah. Um, but really interesting stuff. And it turns out that like there, even with knowing those two, nobody can agree who actually made the first electric. Have bass. you ever seen one? Like, I mean, in there the- are photos, but um, yeah, I've been to the I saw the ad. But so like- the Tutmark bass is actually on display at what I think it's it used to be called the EMP in Seattle which I've seen a number of times there, but it's, it's called something else now. It's Paul Allen's uh, museum that he has in Seattle where it's like they've got the Hendrix Woodstock Strat and shit like that okay. there. They do have the Tutmark base there. Okay. And then I don't know where the Stromberg Electro So the is. guy made like one or two, I mean, but... He had a company. He did. Right. It was a com- I don't know how many actually existed Okay. Uh, because I just read a couple fucking internet links right, about right. it. But um, I can tell you that... It was before the Fender It was P-base. before the Fender okay. Precision Base, which that book I'll buy that. said... Leo invented the electric right. fretted bass. And that's that's the same with, with the Gibson. Dude, exactly. So, some dude brought a solid body to you know Gibson in 1940s, mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah. You know, they laughed at him and said, beat it, and then, you know, whatever. Yeah, and Years even, later, they're Bigsby, like, right? hey, hey, it kind of looks like the same Paul fucking, Bigsby. Paul Bigsby, yeah. Looks like the same thing, uh, you know. And Lloyd Lohr, one of their master builders, like the Lohr Gibson, the mm-hmm. arch tops, he was trying to make electric pickups back in the 20s. And they were like, yeah, what the fuck are we going to do with this? Like, we right. don't care about this. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, now here we are uh, obsessing over their creations. It's all about the folklore, though, man. And just it just goes is. to show you that the cream kind of rises to the top, you know? Or the ones who have the business savvy. Whoever's smart top. enough to make, make it into Make it business. into money. Because yeah. right. Leo wasn't a guitar player. He was, a, he was an engineer and a businessman. And he worked pretty hard to making that happen yeah. so you know that's why we that's why i just assumed that the, the precision base was the first electric base but it is not okay folks all right i'm just gonna have to put that out there we can argue about it i still want to get one of those original ones though and that's what well, really, yeah that's what really grinds your gears that grinds my gear hunks there's another thing yeah. that grinds my gears uh i came across this i'm a i'm a member of the my less paul forums as uh some Les Paul nerds tend to be. And there was a guy, and it was super exciting because some, it was the, the story we all fucking I read about. It. Yeah, it's so where it's you, you think, because, you know, the burst, 1958 to 1960, that's a guitar that everybody wants, the value, whatever. Uh, and somebody found one under grandpa's, uh, under his bed, original 1960 Les grandpa Paul. Grandpa passed sunburst. away. Grandpa dies, finds it under the bed, posted on the My Les Paul forums. And first of all, I think that part was maybe a little bit sketchy to me. Like, I don't necessarily believe this guy was just like, whoa, what is this guitar that I have? I'm going to post it on the Les Paul forums. Right. I think he was creating a market for it, which fine, that's fine. You know, yeah. do what you got to do. The, the thing that grinds my gears is the fucking sheer volume <laughs> of horrible advice people were providing in this forum. Supposedly like the Les Paul expert forum. Sure. Dude's telling him to change the tuners on there. Of the fucking all original 1960 most expensive guitar on the planet, telling them to like take stuff apart and do this and that. It was just like 
every every single entry was worse than the next yeah. with the advice that they were giving They're this guy. trolling them you know but some of the I people were maybe some they were, were but yeah. I, some of it felt i'll trade you genuine. some throwback pickups yeah. it'll yeah. sound better exactly right. i've got this like 80s uh, get those, Les paul those pfs are microphonic you should pull them out <laughs> yeah here take well, the, these ones the other sketch thing was that he posted it with the photos and like the quote-unquote story and then he disappeared, and that was like his only post. He was he was yeah. like a brand new member. He did he did again eventually post he, later. He came back like five pages a later. week later. Yeah. Like with, oh, with a, I've had a big too briefcase full of cash with you know <laughs> yeah. Bonamassa's old, name embroidered on it. <laughs> that, dude, dude, so many people made the Bonamassa like, as he's typing it and posting it on the forum. It's like a knock on the door. Hey man, uh, <laughs> it's insane. Here you got a sixty. You know, I've uh, I've got this place called Nerdville. I don't know if you heard of it, but I got him all the guitars Rick there. Rick Nielsen are arm wrestling for the for the guitar. <laughs> Do you think Rick Nielsen's got the money to be buying bursts right now? He does, but he's not um he's not a big like burst guy. Yeah. He's got he's got a few, but he's more into just oddball stuff. Yeah. You know. All this custom hammer shit and all that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, he's got things that are worth a lot of money and there's one of them. But not uh he's not like a burst collector type guy. If you had the funds to be a burst collector, would you do it? No. No. You're not I, I'd your be style. too freaked out about it. Yeah. And there's too many cool things out there. Why, you know, you're gonna tie up tie up all that money into just like one guitar, five or six guitars. Oh yeah. When you could just have ass loads of really cool, different stuff, and you know, there's so many things out there that are. I mean, everybody, it's a guitar nut. You see something, it could just be the weirdest two hundred dollar guitar. You're like, man, that'd be rad to just have to play on my couch or whatever. You know. Fuck yeah. That's how I am, at least. I mean, I'm sure there's people that are cork sniffy about it. And just blues want, dads. You know. We talk about that a lot too, and I, I think it comes down to like how you got it. Like, would you pay full retail value for it? Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe if you came across one under a bed, obviously everybody wants that story to happen right. to them. There's a lot of blues lawyers that get the they need the authentic, you know, snobbery story behind mm-hmm. it, and they you know climbed a mountain and somewhere, <laughs> and they somebody you know, left it up there for them. It was, it was ri- underneath a Sherpa's bed they, in the Himalayas. Yeah, right. They found it. Some kind of crazy shit. Yeah, but no, I I'd rather just have. Like a cool backstory and and have something. I mean, you're gonna beat on it anyways, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully, that's the you know. Thing. I don't want it to sit there. I I have a, a custom shop gold top that I got new, and I'm just kind of like, it's cool. I don't know if I could take it out and and beat the shit out of it because I have guitars that are already filling that need. Yep. You know. So is it a ratio of like a certain year or something? It's a. 56 gold oh, top with cool. the P90s. That's, his one. that's the my dream P90s. guitar. 56 gold top with the dark back is my all-time it's, dream guitar. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. But, so I got it from Guitar Center Hollywood. Took it home. Played it occasionally. Kept it in the case. You know, uh, whatever. Six years go by. And I pull it out of the case. And the lower bout is cracked all the way through the wood. Whoa. Like the wood just split Whoa. on its own. Like Mark Mothersbaugh style. It just flip it upside down. It, it dried out somehow. I don't know what the deal Damn. is. I, this is a guitar. I've never played a show with it. Mm-hmm, I literally right. just sit on my couch and play it. Wow. And it cracked. And I said, holy shit, this is a you know $3,500 guitar. And I hit up Gibson and took photos, all the bullshit they needed. And literally within five days, I had a brand new VOS 56 custom Whoa. shop at my front door. Wow. Which was hands down better than the one that i <laughs> sent them the weight the feel of it because it was straight from the factory and it had all like the worn patina and the vintage everything to it which mm-hmm. i don't even think the other one had you sent mm-hmm. one back i sent the other one back and it was like fucking immediate and now it's even better 
you know, and I I got to say I did put better pickups in it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What'd you throw in there? Uh, I got a set of Motor City pickups that he custom wound for me. Cool. They're just a little bit hotter, but still vintage style PAs. Mm-hmm. P ninety, sorry. Um, so I was impressed with Gibson, but at the same time I can't help but think that they were just like, all right, just get these fuckers out the door and. Just, well, they've got to know how many how many returns good and, and shit they're yeah. getting constantly. That sounds like a factory. F- I've like, never heard of something fun. like that happening no, to a guitar. Either. Like the yeah. lower cutaway, just you know, through two inches of wood. Yeah, it's cracked. It was fucking nuts. Yeah, like if you dropped it directly that on probably the horn, that happen. probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. How would that like that? And that had to have been totally just a fucked up piece of wood to be. They didn't grill yeah. me on it. Nothing. Yeah. They were just like, cool. Some wow. photos. No, no, I wrote a letter. There you go. See ya. Yeah. On the one hand, that's like super refreshing to hear because we i mean i'm a gibson lover they're my favorite guitars in the world but we also like to talk a lot of shit about them for the reasons we all know a lot of quality control issues robo tuners exactly exactly so hearing that x scenario oh fuck so hearing but hearing that made me feel kind of good at first like oh they're doing good customer service but then also it's like well why are they having to do that because they're putting out a lot of shitty guitars that cost even though they're four thousand dollar guitars they're still randomly having the lower horn fall which is ironic because apparently they don't let anything leave the shop that has any sort of defect whatsoever yeah exactly they've got to drive tanks over those right uh or destroy all their name would be sullied so um yeah that was i guess that was like we haven't really talked a lot of shit about gibson in like a couple weeks it's been a few weeks so it it felt a little. And we support empty. Gibson and love them. Wow, oh, God, it's so much. Please, but they just fuck up. Your They've been fucking up a lot. That's. I think that's all I got for Grand My Gears this week. Okay, uh, I'm gonna send this over to Great. my buddy Dave here for my all-time favorite weekly segment, Dave's Docs. Dave's Docs. Uh, do you guys watch music documentaries at all? Oh yeah. No, yeah. never. I don't know. I, I'm much all I watch. Um, I try to watch one a week now just to bring. Uh, to the yeah, show. I like things. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. things are good. Have you heard of this? There's a band called Led Zeppelin out there. Um, it's really sad because they actually don't have an authorized, full, like, real documentary about their story. Dude, how crazy is that? Yeah, I never knew that. So I wanted to look because I was like, I'm, I'm a huge, I got to say, like, probably my favorite band of all time. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. And yeah. I figured it's time to dive in. I was going to do Song Remains the Same, but that's not really a documentary. No, that's a weird ass. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to watch, like, a, you know, a concert for, like, two and a half hours. Do you guys like Song Remains the Same? See, I got to say, man. Led Zeppelin is the band that doesn't need a documentary because it's all about the mythology of the fucking band. That's a really good point, man. Like, oh. is he a wizard in a castle? Right. I Maybe he is. And you don't want to debunk any of these fucking, fucking crazy man. myths. Awesome point, dude. You know? I'm with that. Uh, dude, you yeah. got like a 14-year-old wife in a castle somewhere? Mm-hmm. Or like your... Alistair Crowley's he, old house. Yeah, he, Crowley's old house, Right. Man. Like, does he ride a horse to get his mail? I don't know, yeah. dude. <laughs> he pays like, someone else to ride a horse to saying. get his mail. These are... They, like that mountain... In houses of the holy, like maybe that's his backyard. It's the it's the folklore with man. the naked kids climbing up mm-hmm. there. Yeah, like maybe kids, that's real. Man. You know. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like some things, just leave it out there, dude. Dude, I like that, man. That's fucking beautiful. If it was, you know, uh, whatever, you know, Journey or something, like right. some other normal fucking classic rock band, you're just like, well, gives a shit. Yeah. Right. It's like okay, you guys all got a band or Leonard yeah. Skinner or some Watch, shit. I think I did like the Tom Petty dude, one last did week. They and I was like, that's a great do, movie. Did they ever even do behind the music? For Zeppelin? No, well, there was an A and E special, oh, but they was. didn't do like a VH1. I don't think. Yeah, it probably wasn't like an authorized. But no, none wow. of them are authorized, and they're all like they're on YouTube. So there's there's two there's one that I watched, but there's two available. One's called Dazed and Confused, and the other's called From A to Zeppelin. Um, they're good. They're only like 50 minutes. You can find them on YouTube, totally free. And uh, just the story, you know, I like the idea that like Jimmy Page literally started playing guitar. He was like getting interviewed about playing guitar when he was 11 years old. Yeah, they have a clip from that, which is you know kind of cool. Um, those little tidbits, but obviously we all know like the story of the band. It's not, 
you know, anything crazy. I thought the one takeaway I got from it was, and this goes kind of back to the folklore of everything, you know, everyone's like, they partied so hard, they wrecked hotel rooms like The Who, they did all these drugs and drank, well, we know Bonzo drank a lot, but like, they were this crazy party band, and then kind of like, you know, halfway through the doc, they're like, actually, they really didn't party that much, like, they would be more like worried about, like, they were too tired after a show to go party, they would like, you know, get on the plane and just like have their own little like cabins and kind of just like fall asleep. I've heard that. Aerosmith partied way crazier than fucking Zeppelin. That, I mean, I've heard a lot of bands. I mean, yeah. Right, there's a lot of bands that have gone way more over the yeah, top. Yeah, totally. Because Zeppelin, you know, they had too much to lose. Right. You know, and I think they were all smart enough guys that they're like, hey, let's not fuck this up. Well, their manager wouldn't have let him, man. That right. guy was fucking Peter, Peter insane, Peter Grant would beat dude. their ass. He was insane. You know? And I think that's a big reason that band got so big. I also didn't know when they, you know, he managed the Yardbirds. Mm-hmm. And when the Yardbirds kind of broke up, like, you know, Paige was the only one left. And then this was going to be like the new Yardbirds. They actually called it Yardbirds too. Totally. So that's why they didn't really go anywhere until they changed the band name to Zeppelin. I mean, he brokered the record deals. Yeah. You know, he's the reason they made the most money any band, you know, percentage of their yeah. record sales ever, you know. And as like, much as he probably stole from them, <clears throat> he still gave a fuck about those guys, you know. And I thought that was actually really a cool part that, you know, he did care about that band. I mean, even though obviously, you know, he's making them money, it was his... It was his lifeblood. Well, the but, amount he stole was probably the, the gap between the amount of money extra that he got them guaranteed for sure. shows and record yeah. sales and stuff. But Yeah, so so there you go. There you have it. So are you recommending that I watch it? Or yeah, not? I mean, yeah. I think it's a, it's a brief, it's a fun brief overview, something on in the background kind of movie. For you don't real. have to really dial into it. But are, isn't there now an actual authorized bi- uh, so, documentary? Yeah, so I was going to say, you know, um, I was Googling, you know, what is the best, you know, Zeppelin documentary out there? Like, I want to see the best one. And as of like March, they just announced that there there's one in the works right now. Like they're going to do a full, you know, blasted out documentary. But I think now we have to boycott, right? For the very I kind of want to now, man. I'm kind of kind of changed my mind. I mean, the best, you know, just to get from point A to point B, you should just have one of those guys on the show, and then you can just ask them questions, and they'll tell you on the podcast. And then you got JPJ. JPJ, you know, just like skip the middleman. Yeah, JPJ, man. You know. I, I do have a good plant story that uh, my, my friend's a massage therapist for, you know, celebrities and touring bands. And she's done, like, Paul McCartney and, you know, whatever, Bette Midler, all these fucking celebrities. Huh. Oh, yeah. And she got to give Robert Plant a massage before one of his solo shows right. on tour. I don't know if it was the, you know, one of those. The I, stuff I he did with Alison Krauss? Yeah, he, he did, like, some solo stuff. I mean, this yep. was probably 15 years ago. Okay. And he got done, and he's like, oh, that's great. And he just rolled over, and he's like, all right, finish it off. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, my friend that was doing it, she's a little older, you know. She's not not a young kid by any means. But uh, she's like, and I'm not not really going to do that. But uh, maybe my assistant will. And she had, like, a 23-year-old assistant. Uh, And she's like, hey, do you want to, like, you know, maybe. uh..." She's like, oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a lifetime. And, like, yeah. I mean, come on. Robert Plant, the guy that's saying stairway. Honestly, dude, I can't say I wouldn't throw him I was just going to say, I might. Honestly, man. Just Seriously. Like, if, if he sang it, you know, like, sing, <laughs> sing, sing, the, sing the, the intro to Immigrant Song. Yeah. When you're about to come. Dude, right? I don't think he can sing like that yeah. anymore. That would be the problem. Well, yeah. if you did a good job, he probably would. Oh, right? Yeah, hey, that's the only time he can. He used maybe. two hands. All right, Mr. Plant, if you're listening, <laughs> open invitation. Please. As his lawyer's rabidly fucking typing up a, <laughs> some kind of legal document yeah. to fuck me over now. Perfect. 
I'll just I'll just make sure it's I'll just I'll make it sound like it was Q's voice for that part. Okay, so uh, Dave Dewerson suicide, Robert Plant hand job. What else? We've got some episode titles. I'm loving the dirt right in this yeah. one, man. Gibson stole all their ideas along with Fender. Uh, next, we're going to talk about another segment that we uh, have been getting into uh, recently. It's called "Fuck the Police." Dude, uh, we we just oh, for some reason just have like really love talking shit about the police, and we like the band, like the band, hate the dudes. So you're so, talking about actual police or no? No, it's oh. well, if if you, if that made you think of a good story, but really, it's more about Gordon and Andy and fucking uh, Stuart. Yeah, I yeah. All right, collect my thoughts here because I've. I came to a, like a consensus about this because my drummer, of course, all dr- fucking drummers love the police, right? Of course, yeah. And I've always hated, fucking hated the police. Oh yeah, because it's you know, like he sings shitty the songs. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like white guy reggae, which that's was exactly what yeah, I said. That's no, normal. Is. That was totally the trend in fucking yeah. late seventies right. UK, right? Mm-hmm. It's like reggae the was clash. huge and all these white bands were like fucking reggae, man. Mm-hmm. That's like the rebellious music and we gotta tap into that shit, right? Like this black struggle thing. Mm-hmm. And then I never gave a shit about that band. And then my drummer's talking about it and then one day I'm driving in my car and I'm like, I'm just gonna listen to the drums and figure out why the fuck all these great drummers love the police. And I, I don't know what single it was, but I listened to the drums, and I'm like, man, those are, like, really fucking good drums. Yeah. And I got it. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. block out, like, Sting's crappy singing and, you know, the shitty lyrics Smug and all that asshole. stuff. Yeah. Right. And just, like, you know, jangly guitars that aren't very <laughs> tough at all. Well, dude, and let's be honest. Like, that's my least favorite part, because the other thing is I fucking hate chorus pedals, full stop. And the police are chorus pedals. So, yeah. like, that's just a, a huge obstruction for me. But that said, like... I still think their music's good, and I like a lot of it, except for the white boy reggae shit. But I just fucking hate them as individuals. They're just dude, they're douchebags. Yeah. yeah, I think we we came to a consensus, and we've never met them. But we haven't, um, and and we didn't even get to the reason I brought it but up. That being um, said, happy happy belated birthday to Sting. There you go. Uh, his birthday was a couple Gordy, days ago. So happy birthday! Police. It was yesterday. So. You're seventy. How old is he? You know, I don't know. Seventy is like seventy. He, he looks better 85. than I'm gonna look at that age. Oh, he for looks sure. great. I mean, are there? Let's let's pose this question: Are there any bands in the history of rock that have had a bass player that plays his bass up super high that have been good, like cool bands? The Beatles, John Entwistle. Yes, John Entwistle and the Beatles. But, you know, he wasn't like he wasn't way. He wasn't under the chin. He was definitely up high. He was Stingers at higher. He's got the bow tie Sting's going. Sting's yeah. got the the yeah. big high thing, and McCartney. He kind of angles it, though. Yeah, he kind of angles and he's a little guy. Yeah. And they you weren't know. really known for playing live anyway, so I don't really picture Paul McCartney, like, standing playing bass, usually. I'm, th- I'm picturing him down in the pit of EMI Sting's bass, it did get bass. higher through their career. Um, when yeah. they started, it wasn't as high, but it got it got. I haven't there. noticed that, but I, I'm happy to have a new thing to hate he about He started him. dancing a lot more. Like, in the, like right. right before they broke up, mm. they were playing these big gigs, and he was just moving out there. Sting nonstop. Man. I've got to be honest though. Great I, shape. I can't. I've never been good at playing guitar slung really low. Like that looks bad, fucking ass. And I wish I could do it, but I can't play like below my belt. I can't do it. There's, Get the extender. There's a happy medium in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. No, Maybe. that's a good. You point. ever play the uh, Roxanne drinking game? No. Anytime that comes on the radio, uh, you yeah. hear the word Roxanne. Just gotta yeah. get Dude, it's like swig. thirty times. That's you, right. you need at least two beers in your hand. Yeah, oh, right. that'd be fun, man. Yeah, it's like, like uh, <laughs> says sober October. Yeah, sober right October here. over here. But that's a rough month to be sober in, dude. Yeah, it'll be all right. We'll get through right. it. You know, I'm I'm, be, I'm trying to be supportive. It's a good thing that he that he's doing this. I was so. I needed to dry out. Is man. it sober from drugs though? No, I'm still smoking weed. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, no, no other drugs are really fun unless you're you could just turn it. sober October into like Coketober. And then <laughs> you just get blasted on right. Coke. Yeah. Just shift gears. Spend for, way for like more money. One than, days. Yeah. All the money right. I saved, dude. dude I'm gonna spend. Let's do blow. a little Blowvember. What do you think? Blowvember, <laughs> dude. We should do a coked out episode, man. That'd right. Be so weird. I don't. Man, we get don't, nothing yeah. accomplished. Seventeen, hours, 17 hours straight. Fuck me. <laughs> Marathon live yeah. stream broadcast. Just we're gonna just be fucking going just through every single piece of gear I have. Yeah. Fucking my new taking it apart, putting it back together, exactly. closing Wrong. all the blinds, making sure no one's looking in the windows. <laughs> be everyone talking at the same time. Oh, it'd right. be the worst so, podcast. I, in yeah, history. editing it would be another blow. You just have situation. to yeah, just delete just another whole, whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> the blowcast. Exactly. No, it would have to be live. There's oh, no way I'd go through that shit. All right. Well, I guess now we've got our November. Yeah, we've show thrown ideas. cocaine in the mix. All right. That's a good transition. Zeppelin to. To cocaine. We've got another segment that is not going to be as exciting as the last one, so I'm going to blow through it. <laughs> uh, wow. Riff Library, which is where I talk about another music book every week. And this one is super fucking cool. Interface design? It's called Push Turn Move. Uh, what's the full title? Push Turn Move Interface Design and Electronic Music by Kim Bjorn. Uh, that book was originally a Kickstarter like two years ago, uh, and it is one of the most beautiful books I own in terms of both design, which is, you know, fitting considering it's a design book. Um, But then also just the photography is so amazing in there, but it basically goes through the history and philosophy of interacting with electronic music, electronic being sort of loosely defined as things that evolve electricity, involve electricity. It's artists, designers, makers, their instruments. It's got a forward by Jean-Michel Jean, uh, and it's edited by folks from Recording Magazine and Sound on Sound, so you know it's like real good stuff. I highly recommend it. It's, it's got features from all sorts of people, everything, Teenage Engineering, Ableton, Roland, Dave Smith, Roger Lynn, Native Instruments, you name it, they're in there. Highly recommend it. Again, it is very expensive, so, you know, keep that in mind but it's 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 a it's a it's it's like a, an investment in my mind you know it's something that you can put out and it's going to look good forever i've got the other book that in the series called um actually i don't remember what it's called push turn no that's push turn move i think it's uh i don't know it doesn't matter but they've got a new one coming out called pedal stomp that does the same thing for pedals you guys need some beers yeah there's some in the fridge man help yourself there's some white claws in there too so yeah you awesome. know if you're trying to watch your carbs <laughs> we're carb conscious around here um, Ain't the laws so yeah, I don't know. Check it out. It's a good book. Yeah, I'm flipping through Riff this book. Library. This is incredible. I am interested yeah. in picking up my own copy. Yeah, yeah. And then I've got like you can check out the other one on the shelf over there. That's specifically about modular synths. And then um, I am totally gonna buy the pedal this one just because cool. I'm gonna have to. And it's called Pedal Stomp. So yeah, it's uh, Push Turn Move by Kim Bjorn. And uh, that's Riff Library. Give our give our buddy here a second to sit down. Yeah, there you have it. He did get a claw. And there's also a some kind of gold lager over here, too, if you guys want. Those are good, dude. Help yourself. It's kind of a hodgepodge today of yeah. beers. Well, so I'm, like, not really the drinker. Dave's a drinker. Uh, I so usually normally, put he, three back during he bring, a podcast. He brings, the, uh, he brings them usually, so it's just kind of like the odds and ends of what he's brought over here. Well, right don't now. tell my band, but I stole them out of the practice space. Uh, That's great. They, they, don't sorry, listen, they don't listen to us. Stole them out of the practice space. Uh, I don't think Russ even fridge. knows how to use a phone. Well, the, the nice thing about having drunk bandmates is they forget how much beer is, was in there. So it's going to be a good sample. I will say that uh, I'm a huge fan of founders. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're one of the best, man. And I feel slightly encouraged by their all day IPA that I should be drinking it all day. Mm -hmm. So I kind of do that as a rule of thumb. They sell the 15 pack, which is is cool too. I love the 15ers. Yeah. Seriously. Yep. What did you, what did you growing up? Did you have a, a word? Like, what did you call 24 beers? 
case. Case. Right. Yes. Did you have you did you have a word for a thirty pack? Thirty rack. A thirty rack. Okay. <clears throat> Either of you guys? Maybe maybe a suitcase. See, this is all interesting to me. I always just call them thirty packs, but I was told that they were called a sleeve. Like twenty four is a really? case, thirty is a sleeve. And th- I was like sleeve. corrected on this recently. Like a big sleeve. But, well. I mean, yeah, I didn't invent the term, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's, it's. I always find that really interesting what people call different. Did you see boxes. that one? I wonder if there's a 15 name. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good. I'm not feeling very clever right now. I'm right. Good yeah, I got nothing. I, blow, I kind of I blew my load with Blowvember. I've got to be honest. Yeah, well, I think that was your pun. All for the downhill day. for here. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, uh, the only beers that really came in 15 packs or 30 packs are just you know the fucking. Keystone did the the budget bin, yeah. fucking you know old Milwaukee Bush Natty Keystone Light, you know it was all that kind of stuff. So I remember getting a thirty pack for fucking ten ninety nine. Yep, which to me just seems awesome because you can't even get two beers now in a bar for less than ten ninety nine. Sure. Exactly. How much does a thirty pack of White Claws cost? Uh, I hope like seventy four dollars. Yeah, packs. no, they sell twelve packs. I haven't seen a case yet, but they sell the twelve pack is like. Almost twenty bucks, man. It's crazy. Is it really? Yeah, it's like nineteen bucks. Hmm. So, That's why I like the Henrys. They're actually like a few bucks cheaper. I don't know if you know this, Q, but <clears throat> I, I, I actually was in a Henry's commercial for Henry's Hard Sparkling Water. He's kind of famous. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is one in between my last job and then like this life I'm living now. That was one of the things I've done to make money. Was I was in a fucking stupid TV commercial for Henry's Sparkling Soda, which is awesome because I don't, I don't like it. I don't like sparkling. I water. brought some one day to the podcast, and it tastes like barf. It was bad. The blueberry was okay, but that's so you're you're in the commercial. Oh film? yeah, me, so me and my dad and my grandpa, like I, oh, a shit. friend sent me a thing like, hey, you're named Henry. They're looking for Henrys, and then I went to the audition and then told them I was like, by the way, my grandfather and father both are also named Henry in the city, and they're like, we'll bring them to the callback. Henry's drinking Henry's. Henry's drinking Henry's. That's awesome. You were like you're doing some acting now too. I played a bum. No shit. I played a bum two weeks ago. What was that what? for? Uh, that show, The Shy. No kidding. Really? But I, I, I had to, you know, I had like lines, and I had to, I had to fight a guy, and there was a stunt double. It was oh, pretty cool. That's awesome. That's fucking crazy, yeah. man. But it was a night shoot, so we we shot till like four in the morning. It's pretty interesting. What did you do to to commit to get yourself into that role? I drank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I drank. I smoked cigarettes, uh, and then I, I, it was hot. But they had me wearing all these clothes, and I had to be in a tent. For tent city. For they built a tent city. I had to be in a tent for like six hours straight, wearing a hoodie and jeans and all this shit. And in fucking, you know, it was like eighty nine degrees outside. Wow, just sweating my that balls fun. off. What uh, would you do it again? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get paid for stuff like that. You right? sure do. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I don't know if I can even like talk about it, but the old studio was right was, across was the street from the away. actual tent city. Yeah. Right, we filmed a block away from Quentin's old studio. Oh, so I was like, oh, it's right, right over there. That sounds like a nice little segue, yeah. Quentin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do with your studio now and where you where you were in Pilsen? Yeah, so studio was in Pilsen. It's called Gunpoint Recording. Uh, I was partnered with Bob Pop back then. Uh, He's no longer with us, so since then, I've moved down to the south, far south side and built the studio in the house. Got married, bought a house, and turned a whole floor of the house into a studio. First question, how does the wife feel about having a studio in the house? <laughs> oh, it's great. You know, we did a great job soundproofing, Okay. so she can't even hear it. <laughs> nice, wow. nice I got to thanks, uh, Carp Designs. Kevin Rogers did an excellent job okay. with the soundproofing. Right on. 
So what um you I mean you brought some gear with you here. I, I take it that that came from your studio as well. Yeah. So you mentioned doing some show and tell kind of gear stuff. Yeah. So most of the studio, almost all of the outboard gear, I, I made myself DIY kind of builds. So I brought a couple of just samples of that stuff. Um, Dave, why don't you grab it for him and uh, bring it over? Well, fetch it. Yeah. So I built a bunch of racks, fifty one X racks. They're called. They're essentially. 500 series racks, okay. but modified, so they have an extra 24-volt rail on them. And that's 51X? Yeah. I've never F- heard that. That's 51X. Um, so this tube is basically a 51X-style version of a G9 preamp. Two uh, Tesla tubes in it. Runs on 250 volts, so there's a converter in there. So I see. Is that... It looks like it's... Is that just a quarter-inch input on there? Yeah. Do you have it all... Sort, do you have it all... Um, oh, so it's DI style. Do you have it, like, uh, set up with a patch bay, and then you just, like, patch in? Like, how how would you get quarter-inch to that? Just plug in the front. So this, when you plug in the front, there's actually a switch to select the quarter-inch... Oh, okay. Heat, ...or high impedance input, if you want to use this as a DI, mm-hmm. which I typically never do. Uh, I use this for, as a microphone preamp. Any specific kind of source material that you would think about with that preamp? Yeah, so this one, I... Sometimes use on overheads, sometimes use on anything that's real percussive. Okay. I had to do a session with a banjo recently. I thought that'd be a good fit because it has a nice high transient mm. with the tubes. So real fast response? Yeah. Okay. Faster response than some of the solid state stuff. So it's a good choice for anything like that. Um, nice. It's not, this particular one isn't one of my main choices for preamps, but it's great for overheads, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's a tube, and you don't see tube stuff in 500 series very yeah. often. So. I would think that that would pose some sort of heat ventilation issues. Uh, yeah, I haven't had any nice. noticeable issues. They're just 12 AU7s, so they're yeah. not too high gain. And what um, what's the other... Uh, this one here is a 550A clone. It's essentially a 500 series clone of a 550 AEQ. Mm-hmm. The API. So is it is it the exact same frequency selections and all that yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah, it is a spot-on clone. Same built off the original schematic. And I so I know you have, I don't know, real, you can call a real one. You have a- API versions of that. Can you hear any difference? They're very similar. Uh, almost identical. Close uh, enough to save yourself $1,000 or so. It'd be worth yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Although the hours we put in the the man yeah, exactly. I don't know if you're really saving anything, but it's a fun way to do it and learn about how these things work. Yeah. And you do save some cash. Did you find that you wanted to improve anything from the original design and your design? No. And I didn't actually design this one. This was a, a layout done by um, Brian Horvitz. Mm-hmm. And he faithfully cloned the, the 550A one. I have done some other ones with slightly modded stuff. I did some 1176 clones Ooh. recently and kind of took the uh, API style gain stage into the 1176 clones as a hybrid of sorts. Interesting. Where the uh, compression is all 1176 style, but then the, the gain section is API style. Did you um, base that off of any sp- specific version of the 1176? Uh, version of F. The F. Oh, yeah, I, don't, those... I don't even have the... I don't think does, I don't think Universal Audio cloned that one, did they? For the no, stuff? they're... Because I have the E. Their current ones are based off the DE and the blue version. Stripe. The F had a slightly different um, input, uh, AB, class AB output, oh. whereas the E is a class A. Class A, sure. Yeah. Cool, man. Love that shit. Um, and then you also brought some microphones, too, which yeah, I, I think, so, frankly, probably the most uh, uh, jealous of currently. Yeah, these are pretty cool. Um, basically, KM84 clones. There's... 
a lot of sources out there. You can make your own. There's mm -hmm. tons of people that sell parts for them. This one particularly was a group buy off groupdiy.com. And it's a somewhat faithful recreation or recreation of the KM84. I've got so I've got a 184 over here. Can you how have you ever compared? I have not compared because I've never used the 184. Uh, I know the main difference is they're not the same mic at all. Right. Um, this one has a transformer where the 184. Oh, is that's down. got a transformer. Okay. Yeah, the KM84 had a transformer. Uh, historically, the KM84 was the first phantom powered mic. No kidding. Back in wow. Four, I think. First I did not know that. Thanks, Neumann. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for bringing Phantom Power to the world. That's a cool tip. Didn't know that. Oh, that's a cool little tidbit right tidbit. there. Hell yeah. History tip. History tips. <laughs> so I have, I have not compared them to a KM84, but yeah. if you got some, I'd be curious. To yeah, well, we, can, we, can, uh, we can hang them up. This one being Transformer balanced, I've heard that they're a lot darker. That's than the, that's the what I've heard, but yeah. I've never had the opportunity. I, I use these a lot in overheads for that reason, because mm -hmm. they are darker, and I purposely try to usually get my overheads darker and yeah. some of that symbol harshness. Totally. Sweet, man. Thanks for bringing that stuff yeah, by. Yeah, thanks, man. I wish I had a lunchbox to put those modules in and fucking test them out myself, but that'll happen. I read about, speaking of um, speaking of hardware and outboard gear, I was reading about this pretty, well, I don't know. Maybe it's cool. Maybe it's not. This new thing, this company called Access Analog. Have you heard about this? I have not. They, uh, it's, it's, it's a plugin that you can pay for. It's actually a subscription-based plugin, and what it is is this company has... I don't know how big their space is, but they've got a ton of actual vintage outboard gear, real 1176s, API, all the stuff. And through the plugin, you basically, you kind of like, you say, I want it for these two hours right here. And then you get access through, in your computer, you get access to all this real vintage actual hardware. You send, it, it streams your audio what? from your DAW to their servers run it through the fucking hardware and then pipes it back to you and you're I, I have in your DAW. Holy you shit. Is, yeah. Have you, have you, have you tried this or like, no. is that even, how does that work? I don't know. It blows my mind thinking I mean, about with stuff it. like UAD now, I don't even know if it's worth the hassle in my opinion, but yeah, it's interesting as a, as a studio owner and a guy who spends a lot of time with that stuff. I was actually curious to hear what you thought about it because I don't know. I'm on the one hand. Yeah. I, I'd spend a lot of money and buying plugins and have access to all that, but I mean, it, would it be cool to be have access to a pair of uh, LA two A's to to run a mixer, what, whatever it is that you want to do? Like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I'm honestly, I'm kind of tempted to try this out. It's it's expensive. I don't have the exact rates. In it's front a subscription of me. basis. Type it's subscription, thing? and then you like you 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 select like uh, I want three to five. Well, how do you dial Friday. in the? the gear you there's a like there's a gui and and you and you say you, you increase the input gain on the 1176 then a fucking robot controls the 1176 on their hardware and updates it that was in the article i was reading about it that was kind of one of their questions too it's like well even if it's even if you're making that change how do you know that that's the exact change that's happening because you don't see a video see it. of it or something it's all represented graphically mm -hmm. So I don't know, but it's it's I I thought it was kind of a neat idea at the very least. Now that we have enough bandwidth to be able to support streaming high resolution audio like that to and from a bunch of hardware, um, because yeah, that just wasn't feasible ten years ago or even less. Um, but I also don't know if the, if the latency, like what that's going to be like, because there's going to have to be some back and forth time between it. You, you're not going to be able to live track. Uh, that's what I was going like to say. Yep. But for mixing, yeah. I could see it. I could see it possibly being a cool thing or like, I don't know. I mean, I've got a built out quote unquote center section here, but I don't have like a console center section like they might have there. So then I, maybe I could just run my whole two mix, my whole, just a master bus through something and then have access to like a fucking SSL or whatever they have. You know? Right. 
So I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to check it out. I don't have much to say about it, but I wanted to at least bring it up and see what you folks thought. I feel like Johnny, I feel like we've been neglecting you. No, no. I said all all kinds of dumb shit when we started out. So I wanted Quentin to talk about it. Let Quentin say some dumb shit. No, let Quentin talk about, you know, that's why people, sorry, people tune in, you know, because they want to, uh, hear about the technical musical instrument stuff and they do but i think they I also think it's like both. it's it's about 50 yeah. 50 around here that, yeah. that's why we work together because he, he handles the technical stuff i come up with some idea like i what can if, bore everybody very what quickly. if what if i came up with a pedal that, that sounded like you know a, a guy getting run over by a truck and then he actually <laughs> helps me turn that into something that works dude so all so, right well um, i want to talk about i want to talk about that it, what it, so yeah. how did you get into this pedal making thing um totally ass backwards um, I was touring and didn't really have much money. Who were you touring with at the time? Uh, I, I played in a band called the Las Vegas for 11 years. Right on. That's pretty much, I, I moved up here when I was 23, 22, something like that. Joined this band and we just immediately started touring. So we played, you know, a hundred shows a year. Wow. For, you know, it's pretty much all I did was just this band touring and, you know, you never really work enough to have extra money. Right. Um, but there's a couple of things that I wanted for my rig and I, I, I wanted this wah type thing that didn't exist. Um, so I started just ripping apart wahs and trying to make this thing happen. Um, did that turn into the atomic cock? It definitely did. Um, <laughs> but I, I had a guy that I found online that made uh, a really cool, you know, old school, uh, super fuzz clone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I've always wanted one of those. So I bought it for, you know, whatever it was, hundred and something dollars instead of an original for six hundred dollars um and i was like oh this is great and i was like hey man you know i'm kind of looking for this thing uh and he's like you know you should you seem like a smart guy you know why don't you just like get one of these kits and uh you can start messing around with building circuits and you know it's not as you know daunting as it might seem Mm -hmm. so i did and i started building some kits here and there and then i started getting into it and then i really got into it like just Kind of blindsided me. BYOC or Mad Bean. I bought one of those, and I think I built one of them. That was it. That was enough to get me. I've got my my confidence boost. uh, My first pedal over there was a BYOC kit. Yeah, I bought it, and immediately I sold it to one of my buddies because I just like, well, all right, I'm gonna get better from here, and then I I need the cash. Mm -hmm. So you know, I bought it for twenty bucks, and I sold it for forty bucks or whatever it was. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. So I built stuff that I wanted. and that kind of turned into a thing where, like, well, maybe I could, you know, like a little light bulb went off, like, maybe I can make money doing this. And then, you know, in addition to, like, slaving away as a bartender or working at a restaurant, whatever the fuck I was doing, I was probably doing construction work at the time mm-hmm. when I was home, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I could actually make, like, actual money hanging out at my house building stuff that I'm obsessed with anyways. So I kind of pursued that. And then my first dealer was Chicago Music Exchange. Fuck yeah. And that kind of really threw me for a loop because I walked in with these things. I'm like, hey, man, I make these, you know, like, I don't maybe, you know, I'm all thinking it's not going to happen. Yeah. He's like, cool, yeah, we'll take like three of each. And, Holy you shit. know, and I didn't Get even building. I didn't even have a, a the brand name. I didn't have a DBA. Did they try them out in front of you or anything like that? Like, did they nah, want to hear just, he, At this time, I mean, honestly, you know how it is now with the 80 million pedals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when I started doing this, there, there weren't Boutique a zillion pedal brands. Right. You about know, their when, pedal. Their about pedal, when was that? Uh, do you think you 2011 or 12 oh, somewhere okay, there cool. yeah um yeah that was pretty much the dawn of the boutique it was right, right at the there. beginning of when things started getting kind of crazy because their their pedal counter was you know it was like the size of a couch mm-hmm. you know it wasn't huge and he and the guy was like these look great man cool 
And then I, I remember I, I, I had no, nothing established, and they gave me a check to Daredevil Pedals, and I said, well, shit, I can't even deposit this. <laughs> like, I'm not even a business. Could I'm you nothing. Write this to cash, please? Right. Yeah. So, like, I had to go downtown, and I had to fill out forms, and then, okay, so now I'm, I'm a company now. And, yeah. And I was like, well, shit, now I'd be an idiot not to push this as hard as I can. Um, but, it, I mean, initially I was insanely obsessed with it because mm-hmm. it was just something – really interesting to me and cool and of course me this is just like you know uh the line that goes through my life is like not really knowing what i'm doing but just diving completely 100 percent into it and saying like oh, i'll just figure it out as i go you know which is that's just, how you do it man. people <laughs> you don't know, have the balls to do that, always the, the the best way and also the most frustrating way to figure out anything mm. you know um luckily i'm i'm kind of stubborn enough to just figure it out you know, so I had no, absolutely no electronic training. Like I literally bought the BYOC kit and I didn't know how to solder. Yeah. Wow. You know, and like that, that was where that started. You know, I didn't know shit about resistors or caps or anything, man. Mm-hmm. And I just got into it. I learned, I had a computer and that was that. And I spent a couple of years just knocking it out and I came out with the pedal line and then. But so just quick, you know, I kind of want to hang out there for a second. So it was the super fuzz then you think was, that was kind of like the one that really made you want. Well, no, you know, it was this. like the guy. Yeah. You know, I wanted one and this guy built me one and then I wanted, um, like a range master, you mm-hmm. know, which is what seven components. It's right. the easiest fucking circuit, you know? So he's like, just buy a kit and build it. It's super easy. Did that. And I'm like, all right, well, here's what I really want. You know, like this fixed wah pedal and no one fucking makes one, man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got a couple of free was from different places on tour and shit, and I just ripped them up and, you know, kind of made these Frankenstein things. And then once I figured out how circuits worked, I just started to, like, actually engineer this kind of, you know, rudimental circuit, and I got it. And I was just like, holy shit, wow, okay. And that was it. And that was, like, the first thing that was, like, an original. A lot of guys make clones when they start out and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, like, my thing. I was like, okay, well, this this is something, I'm not just That's some right. dude building, you know, whatever, TS9 clones or some bullshit. Exactly. You know, and that was always the goal is to, like, get to the point where I could make original things and not just be, like, some filler fucking scam artist. Copy. Or, like, a cheaper version of something else that somebody... Yeah, like, I don't want to copy people. Obviously, everybody learns from classic things, Yeah. you know, and which I did. But then once I got to the point, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to discontinue this because now I got something that's original and it's mine and... Everything came from a really practical standpoint of like, I need this in my rig and I've had some things that are close, but I really want it to be just my thing and I would figure it out and it would take me a long ass time because I didn't really know what I was doing, but I would figure it out. And then once I was done, I'm like, this is exactly the the goddamn thing that I wanted. And it was just, you know, it all came from like a really natural thing. It wasn't like, well, what's, what effects are selling well in the exactly. market? You know, like Mike, Mike Matthews sitting there like, oh, yeah, people are into like organs and synths and shit. You know, it was just like, no, I want this. I want it on my board and I'm going to make it for myself and hopefully other people dig it, you know. So those early designs, I mean, did they, like the Atomic Cock, is that, is it still the same design as back then or have you been kind of tweaking it? That one's the exact same. I made a double version, which had like an extra sweep control that you could set and toggle between. That's Mm -hmm. the one that High and Fire uses and, you know, those guys. Fuck yeah, Matt Pike. I mean, I think at this point he's got like four of them. (laughs) He uses two on each board. Yeah, he's got two on each board. No shit. Just for different settings? Yeah. uh, And there's two settings on each pedal. So So he's he's got got four. Right. (laughs) So he's got two for high and fire and then two for for sleep, which is like, you know, seeing, uh, you know, 
hearing Dope Smoker live, and then it comes to like a big solo and like halfway through it, and and that's the pedal that he's using, and I'm watching this live, and it's just it's got a creepy. Crazy. And I'm, I'm instantly transported back to, to you know fucking mid '90s hearing the same song, and it, you know my brain is kind of just. But now it's your sound right, through that. It, it was, that's cool. It's interesting about that. Kind of reminds me of one of the other pedals, the Red Light District. And the way I kind of remember the story, he might remember a little differently, but we I recorded a band called The Skull. Oh, yeah, for years sure. Ago, and they were touring with Sleep, or they played with Sleep, and we were kind of discussing how I mixed the guitars and some of the techniques I did on the EQ. And then that kind of became a pedal idea. Really? Sense. Right. We what, said it with a lot of the, the mid-scoop. and Right, a lot of the, when he was mixing down a lot of these heavier bands, he would always dump like a certain frequency a little bit just to make everything sit better. And One and a half K, where you, were you cutting? <laughs> yep, we're on yeah. one K, one and a half K. Uh, and I was like, yeah. The and that's area. Right, and if you, really, if you really juice that, then you get like a total early Sabbath thing. Oh, dude. And which is also like the fucking, you know, Holy Mountain record that yeah. like this kind of scooped thing and i was like well let's just take our gain circuit and figure that out and we put it on a scope over at the you know his studio and just got the you know got everything to sit right at that spot and then figure out how to adjust that the right way and you know some guy like robert keely could easily sit down and just do a bunch of like fucking calculus shit and mm-hmm. go okay we'll do this you know i had to actually like just swap shit and just do get it like the a breadboard fucking or something analog way yeah and we just did it the old school way listening yeah right like and that's i think that's a a bigger strong point than some guy that sits down and just does calculations you know it's like i i'm not the most brilliant engineer in the world by or or i even claim to know what the fuck i'm doing half time but i have an incredible ear for what sounds good and what sounds like shit and there's a lot of pedals that sell thousands and thousands of pedals a year and i think they sound like ass and it's just there's people that also probably can't tell if they're good or not or whatever and I would prefer to just figure it out actually listening to it and saying, you know what, this compared to this sounds way better. And, you know, it's like when you, when you really care about something, that's when you're going to go the extra mile to like really get it every little last fucking nitpicky thing perfect. Well, it's like you said, you're a player too. So it's a lot different than if you are just an engineer creating something, maybe, maybe you can make it sound good, but you're not the one actually out there using it. You're using this shit. So it's like, if it's not working for you, then it's not going to work. And and then you're going to, you're going to make a change and you're going to make, do it until it does work. When you play a show with it, that's a lot different than sitting in your bedroom playing on a little five watt practice amp. Dude, that is exactly, that was the next thing I wanted to ask you. Do you, when you're thinking of, of, of a design, do, are you sitting there at stage volume while you're testing it? Or are you going to do it on a small little amp? Because obviously we know that stuff it reacts way differently when you're talking about bedroom volume versus stage volume. And sometimes something that sounds great in the bedroom sounds like shit when you're on stage. So like, how do you kind of, how do you think about that when you're designing or coming I, up with a new effect? I, breadboarding is fun, but it's also just, it completely melts my brain and it's painful fucking, I mean, it's, it's stage volume for as long as I can do it, usually mm-hmm. about three or four hours straight. Shit. Well, a lot of yeah. what you're doing, you have a <clears throat> trainer collection. And if I'm oh, like wrong, YBA you do a lot ones. of stuff. I have, I have old school tube amps that I keep mm-hmm. clean, and they're great pedal platforms, like like Quentin was saying. And, I, I, yeah, I've done it enough to get to the point where, you know, I can get I can get it to a spot where I'm happy with it. And then I bust out the Marshall. Then I bust out the Fender Bassman. Then I get the combo amps, and then you just start playing it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like when you mix a record, 
And they say, okay, it sounds good in the studio. Go play in your car. Yeah, go sure. play it on your fucking headphones. Go play it in your home stereo. You know, and then that's when I start playing it at different places, different amps. But from you know, from an original standpoint, I just get a loud tube amp and crank it up, and then you know, you got to be able to hear all those little intricate things, and eventually your brain just shuts down, and you got to go, <laughs> okay, I'll come back to this tomorrow. Otherwise, sorry, this, you go insane. this fly is like the most fucking annoying thing ever right now. I don't know, whatever. Um, yeah. How do you? But how do you know when it's done? Like, how do you know when it's ready? Uh, you got to just you got to be able to walk away from it, or you just start going in circles. Mm-hmm. You know. Kind of like mixing a record. It's totally... Well, that's... Yeah, I, exactly. I don't know when to stop mixing. Ever, par- par- what know? is it? Paralysis by analysis? Option paralysis. Yeah, yeah, option yeah all that and, shit. And the thing that... You know, I could breadboard something until I'm completely deaf, but I always have to... You know, I'll knock it out for a few days, and then I'll come back and play it. And usually when you first plug it in and play it, your ears are fresh. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, that actually does sound pretty fucking rad. And then I build it. Because once it's built, then it takes on a whole different thing when you actually have the knobs... And it's in a box and everything. And then you can put it on a board. Mm. And now it, it it's just a weird mental thing, you know. And once you have that dialed in and you can actually play it with a band or whatever, then you have, like, a really good scope of, you know, where you're at with it. And, I mean, there's definitely things that I've gone back to over the course of a few months or six months or whatever and just, you know, little tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time I get to a point where I'm like, all right, cool, you know. Um Cause, I'd rather just keep coming up with new, new cool stuff. You know? Absolutely. So do you? So, you've you, you talked about this sort of like dawning moment where it's like, all right, I sold a bunch of shit to CME. Like now I've got to do this. And you've also talked about people like Matt Pike, who I, I fucking love as players and are these famous guys like using your stuff. Was there like a certain moment? Was it the CME? What, when was it that you're like, all right, this is the thing. Like I've, I'm in on this for sure. Was it really that first order or was there, was it something else? No, I think it was before that. Cause I just, I, I was kind of figuring it out and I had like three or four designs and I had a couple friends that were interested and it was one of those things where I could go continue, you know, whatever the hell I was doing, you know, like building houses and decks and shit Mm -hmm. and bartending until four in the morning Mm -hmm. and doing that whole thing. Or I could do something else and not be, you know, killing myself in the process and doing shit work, making other people money. And I kind of got it like in my head. It's like, I remember I was talking to my girlfriend and I just was like, you know what? Like I could actually do this, you know, like this is something I could do and make money. Cause at the time I think I was only selling those pedals for like, 80 or 90 bucks, like to my friends, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? But to me, that was so much fucking money, mm-hmm. you know? Because I might only had like $200 to my name, mm-hmm. you know? Like it was literally like bartend through the weekend and then pay my bills at the end of the month. And hopefully you've got enough to buy right. some components. And then I'd go on the road for two weeks or four weeks or fucking whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So it was, it was that kind of shit, which everybody knows gets old mm-hmm. so fast. And I was like, man, if I could do this, you know, and I had that first PO you know, for whatever it was, fucking a thousand dollars. It's like, holy shit. You know, I just built all these pedals in like two days. Right. You know, if I could do that, you know, it was definitely one of those moments like I would be a complete idiot not to try and do this full I, balls out. You okay. Know? So then you're, you've got this business, you've got some purchase orders. <clears throat> I, so personally, the thing for me when I got into building pedals that totally turned me off was repairing and debugging stuff. So like how 
is it just you doing everything? Like, how, yeah. how, 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 how is the business actually run that way? Like, if somebody has a return or something, are you the one that's actually going to be sitting there getting out the meter, figuring out where the problem is? Um, well, you know, typically I would assume, uh, you know, the dealer handles the returns, and then mm-hmm. if anything, they, you know, they send an RTV to me. So you're not um, selling direct at all? I sell direct. You do? Um, but, you know, part two to that, and not to float my own boat, but, like, Dude, I, I hand wire and hand built all these pedals, and I don't really get fucking returns. That's awesome. Wow. Because I build, like, quality shit. This isn't conveyor belt stuff. Yeah. This isn't mass-produced surface mount bullshit made in China, mm-hmm. you know? It's like I hand solder every fucking component in these boards. Yeah. You know? I use, like, quality jacks, quality switches, you know? Like, I've always dug that. Like, I don't really get returns. If I do, it's because, like, some some guy stomped on it and broke a toggle switch right. or we used the wrong power supply mm-hmm. or, you know, it's like user operator error kind of stuff, you know, but it's not like, Oh, these something blew up cause it's sh- made shitty for $5 in China yeah. kind of thing, you know? So that's always been, you know, fucking great. I mean, sometimes switches go bad, but of it's, course. it's, that just means it's getting used, man. So, um, I do everything. I, I like, I've tried to bring other people on, but at the same time, I'd rather just make all the money. And I have a big problem with like, you know, people telling me what to do and making other people money and being, you know, not pursuing my my own uh, creative fucking goal, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I love about this. It's exactly like being in a band. You come up with an idea in the middle of the night at 4 a.m. You write it down and then you get up the next day and you literally fucking work on it. You know, I could come up with something and have it in stores in like two weeks. Damn. You know, and that's just if I want to, I can do it. I don't have to go. Oh well, today I have to do this bullshit that I don't want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. It's completely freeing. I can come up with whatever artwork I want. You know, uh, I can call it whatever I want. I can make it sound however I want. It's it's the same freedom as being in a band, except I actually get paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Dude, speaking of the art, I think Design Boy over yeah, here was I, I curious about that. Yeah, I do graphic design, and I was curious who does your um, all your artwork and stuff. Or do you uh, do it? No, pretty much all the artwork. I, the original line I did myself just because I, I had no other options. Yeah. So I might awful, awful Photoshop skills, you know? <laughs> and how, um, Sorry, real quick. How much of that original line do you still sell? Maybe one. Oh, okay. So that was like the We've well, done some reissues. Like, I think the real cool fuzz. That one... That one, yeah, that one I just redid. Uh, maybe the Wolf Deluxe. Everything else was mostly modified clones mm-hmm. that I just kind of let fall away. So yeah. it's like, well, now I got an original thing. Let's clear that out and, you know, whatever. I didn't want to be a clone guy. Um, Sorry, interrupt. No, no, yeah, I was talks just curious. Yeah. I, I was looking at all of them and I'm like, you know, I'm into the sound, obviously, but, yeah. you know, online, there was only some so real many things cool we could listen to. Some, I mean, some of the artwork blew me away, man. Yeah, so. I, so I did it myself and then I. I got to know a guy in Chicago that was friends of a friend and a band guy and all that stuff. And he, he was a tattoo artist and I started going to him for tattoos and he's like, you know, by the way, I'm a, you know, I have a degree in graphic design. I was like, Oh cool. And then I saw some of his actual artwork and shit like that. And I'm like, well, you know, I got this new business. Would you want to, you know, like work out some ideas? So I would always send him, you know, like a photo of a, sign or fucking mm-hmm. ad in a magazine or something and be like dude i'm thinking this mm-hmm. this vibe do your thing with it like digitize it make it sweet and and just make it your own take but with this kind of 
it was never like do it like this, but it was more of like I would send him a photo of you know this beer can or whatever, sure. and just be like, that's that's the feel, that's, that's the, the vibe, vibe I yeah. want for this pedal, and you know it was always from like a yeah kind of like a pop culture mm-hmm. you know advertising type thing, uh, and he was just he nailed it, man. Yeah, dude. A lot of the designs are. And th- oh, those wow. sell, man. I mean, like like you said, when you go in now to like Chicago Music Exchange or something and you're looking at all these boutique fuzz pedals, you know, most people are going to try out the ones that look the best if they don't really know, you know, the name. So, I mean, I think that's huge, you know, for sales. And yeah. All the that. only issue was trying to keep the line consistent looking mm-hmm. because we'd have, you know, I'd just get all these crazy ideas. So all, you'd have these pedals that just look totally so different cool on their own, but they look so disjoined from each other. And There's like, not like a wow. branding standard. Right. And it's like you see a fucking you know, Earthquaker pedal, and right. it's just, you don't even have to read it. You know what the fuck it is. Right. Or you see a JHS pedal. You know, those guys have the branding thing. Mm-hmm. And again, like, dude, I didn't go to school for this shit. I don't yeah. understand. But that's kind of more, more boring, I think. You kind of just know? stumble through it and figure it out. Like, oh, branding, that's right. the thing. I should probably know what that is. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. now I kind of get it. And we started to tweak the art a little yep. bit and keep the logo the same place yep. and all that. Very cool. Um, and again, you know, people that learn how to do this shit right the first time, just go into it and they, they have a much easier time. I kind of have to just... I think you did it the right way, though, because you worked on the electronics, the components first, yeah, and then you're worried about the marketing and all that bullshit later. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, fucking stuff like that. Yeah. And it's not like I have... You know, I mean, these are companies that have marketing budgets. They have oh, marketing dude, they have teams. CEOs and stocks. They have and, yeah. fucking ad teams, and they have social media teams, and they have, you know, like entire fucking buildings full of people that do this shit and like the, buildings the guy, like when q and i met each other where we used to work together those types of places yeah like i went to electro harmonics and hung out with mike you know right. and i'm walking through these corridors of just trip, man. desks of people that do yeah. this shit and they have degrees in this and they're doing this for a living and it's right. like well i can't get down on myself because i don't sell you know fucking forty thousand pedals a year you're also not producing you, that kind of volume. It's yeah, like and you don't have a fucking boss inventory. telling you to either. So. Yeah, and I'm not mass producing shit in overseas, and I'm not, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a different scale, and it's hard not to put yourself up against that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you like playing basketball, and you're like, God damn it, I'm not as good as Kobe Bryant or right. shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, yeah, you got to just kind of enjoy doing it. And you can't beat yourself up about it. And it's like, dude, I would love to sell a gazillion pedals and be like Earthquaker, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, dude, the proof's in the pudding, though. I mean, oh, you've yeah. got a lot of players playing your shit, right? So, like, you're, I mean, we already talked about Matt Pike. I know for sure, I'm sure there are many others, but I've already, I've, you've got the Earl Slick deal, and then there's yeah. there's the Ron Ashton. Like, dude, like fucking Aerosmith, you know, stuff like that. How like, do those guys, how do they, like, how, do they, how are they getting your pedals? It's, yeah. it's from me just, like, hustling and slugging it out and just meeting people and going to shows and just being into what I like, which mm-hmm. is music and bands. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's just like the culture that I'm into to begin with, whether I'm selling pedals or just going as a fan to see a band play, yeah. you know, like it'd be cool to meet Brad Whitford. And I did. It's even cooler to say, Hey man, I built this and will you check it out? And then he did. And he fucking plays it. That's fucking yeah. awesome. You know? And those so are the little things cool, like I, I'll never make an asshole of money. But man, if that isn't like the coolest fucking thing, dude, that's way cooler, Aerosmith's dude. using your fucking pedal. Right, it's they're insane. they're playing goddamn. Sleep is playing fucking Jerusalem with your pedal. Like they're playing fucking Dope Smoker. Yeah. Like that is that's right. that's the best shit Stuff ever. I, right there. You know, I remember being like nine years old listening to Aerosmith records, and it's like this weird thing where you know it's like the Stooges never made a ton of money, but. Mm-hmm. Man, if that wasn't just the coolest fucking band. They're legendary. How did, how did you, you know? get involved with making a Ron Ashton pedal? Well, 
so that was, you know, one of the first pedals that I did way back when me not again, not knowing fucking anything about this stuff. And I told my buddy, I'm like, dude, I should do like a Stooges pedal and we'll put Ron Ashton on it. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, dude. He's like, that's <laughs> cool. And he did it. And I put it out. I built like 12 of them and I sold them and everything. And fucking sure shit, man. Like a month later, I got a letter from an attorney <laughs> from, <laughs> from, from, from Michigan, from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it was, uh, yeah, cease and desist, man. You can't do that. And I said, what do you mean you can't do that? And it's like, well, this is the thing. You're making money off someone's yeah. likeness. I had no clue. Was it just his face on the pedal? Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm like, well, you know, the attorney wanted money. And I'm like, dude, I sold like fucking eight of these. <laughs> right. You know, seriously, you want me to send you a check for like $40? Yeah. What's your attorney you fee? You got a court over this? <laughs> yeah. You know? The postage is going to cost that much. Yeah. yeah. So they said, fine, just stop. Uh, and years and years and years went by. I mean, this was in like 2000. 13 you know mm -hmm. 2012 something it was right right at the beginning um and i think like two years ago i was two or three years ago i was at summer nam uh talking to you ken from reverend guitars mm -hmm. and they put out a ron ashton yeah, guitar the p90 yeah v. fucking love that, th that and guitar. we were talking about that guitar because i wanted to buy one for my artist as like a gift cool. you know, be like hey man i got you one of oh, ronnie's yeah, fucking guitars and he's like you know uh, you know, I had to work this out with Kathy, his sister. She's really fucking cool. You should hit her up. And then I explained the story about the pedal. And so he gave me her email, and I emailed her, and she's like, yeah, cool. And we worked out, you know, a certain price, and uh, the, the money just went to his foundation, which is like, a, you know, his charity mm -hmm. put up in his name. And she's like, yeah, you can, you know, that artwork's cool as hell. Go ahead, use it. And I was like, that's funny, because I put this out like yeah. 2012. <laughs> we had a serious problem. And it was one of those things, was like, oh, you're the guy. Uh, <laughs> she's like, yeah, my attorney. I was Can like, we get yeah, that in writing, please? I'm like, that was me. Uh, so then I, I got to redo it. And then, you know, we my band played in Detroit um, back in May. We went out on the road for a while. We played in Detroit, and then I emailed her. I said, hey, we're going to come through. Uh, we're playing Detroit, and then we got the next day... You know, we got some time if you want to meet up and have lunch or something just to say hey and thanks or whatever. Because we've been doing, you know, I've done a couple of runs of these pedals over the last two years. She said, yeah, meet me for lunch. So we met Kathy for lunch and, um, of course, talked about fucking Stooges, mm -hmm. you know. And she's like, all right, well, we'll see you later. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we got some time to kill. I think we're just going to hang out and maybe see if we could find, like, the Stooges house. And, <laughs> and she's like, oh, well okay, just get in my car, come on. And she fucking no, drove us shit. around Ann Arbor and gave us, like, a personal tour of all the fucking stuff in Ann Arbor that you'd want to see. So we saw, like, the, the MC5 Trans Love house. Oh, she God. took us to, like, Dave Alexander's house and the original Ashton's house. And, like, all, like, you name it, dude, all that shit. Here's, where's, here's where Iggy grew up. It was that. That's like, so crazy. And we went in their fucking house dude. and went in the basement where they had the first practice for the studio no holy way. shit dude and my band is standing in this basement like she still owns a house and there's like stuff from when they were kids on the wall and stuff what? it was fucking damn it was so heavy and so crazy and, and you're you know, there because because of because you decided to make some pedals. yeah man yeah that's fucking awesome and it just you know like i think i do the pedal thing because i'm just a fan of music and playing guitar and gear i'm just a gear nut mm -hmm. you know and so it was never like, this is a good business endeavor and we're going to invest and make money and we're going to be successful and corporate. And all. Like, fuck all that, dude. Yeah. You know, like I have enough money to pay my bills. 
I can still be in a band. I have time to do whatever the hell I want. And I get to build these cool things and other people like it. And I'm not broke, you know, like, so I had a job offer last week and this guy, you know, we kind of almost had a thing and he wanted me to like right off the bat. He sent me a thing. Here's your thing. I need you to work upwards of 60 hours a week. I need Ah. you to do this. I need you to do that. You know, all this bullshit. And I was just immediately thinking, like, I don't have to do this. Mm-mm. And it's been so long since I've had to have someone tell me what to do that I don't even, like, I, I see the value in, like, the luxury of Daredevil and that it's literally just, like, me pursuing whatever I want in music and just getting my rocks off with cool bands and making people, you know, giving them the opportunity to, to get a cool fuzz that they want that inspires them to make a song. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that, where you're just like, it's cool, but it's even cooler to know that, like, some dude is jamming the shit in his studio or whatever and making a record. And it's going to be on there forever, man. That's the cool part, and, too. And, or, or mean somebody, and they're like, dude, that fucking pedal is so cool. I just used it all over this new song I did or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's, it's incredibly humbling for me. That's cool. Uh, I find in the studio when I'm recording bands, 90% of them show up with Daredevil pedals, <laughs> just coincidentally. Look at the boards. Hey, you got hey, one of those. I know that. I, 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 yeah. I had a hand in designing that one right there. <laughs> and, I, uh, and if I was in it for money or whatever, I think I would be incredibly unhappy about it. Because yeah. mm-hmm. it's like, well, this is a failing business. Fuck this. I'm going to go work for uh, some other big company where yeah. I can get a, a great salary and benefits and all that. You know? But, dude, that's not why I started playing in a band. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? You didn't that, do it for the 401k? Not, that's Shit. not why I picked up a guitar when I was 12 yeah. and got addicted to it. That's not why I've done anything in my life. It's like, I do this because I think it's fucking cool. And that's the hardest thing to do, man. Because, mm-hmm. like, if you really want to do something like that, it's going to be tough, dude. Because mm-hmm. it's way easier to just walk into State Farm and go, huh, I'd like to sit at yep. a desk all day and fill out paperwork. And they go, great, sure. here you go. Here's a number. Here's the rest of your life, dude, staring at a fucking computer man, screen. I was just thinking about exactly what you were saying. Like, it's so fucked up to think about that all of us sitting here right now, I know all of us, when we were like between the ages of say 10 to 12, we accidentally picked up this thing that is still for me. And I think for most of us, the most meaningful, meaningful thing in my life. Like I got lucky that I fought to get a guitar when I was 10. And now at the age of 35, it's still by far the most important thing to me in the world. Yeah. Like what I can't, one moment, I can't imagine what life would be like if I hadn't, if I hadn't, if my parents hadn't given in and finally got me a guitar, I would be working. Yeah. Right. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. But like, can anybody i can't think of any other like very few people on earth get to say like this thing that i loved when i was fucking before i was a teenager is still the thing that i love the now. most important i think i got a guitar when i was 12 and a four track when i was 13 yeah, yep. and yeah. That's, been the that's focus it of that's it my man life since then right yeah. like how lucky did we get that we were able to do that shit? insane man and here here's another you know to expand on that i i moved after after school i moved up into the city and um, I had some shitty jobs and then finally I got a job at Guitar Center and I was like, this is <laughs> fucking great. There's air conditioning, there's heat. I'm not working outside <laughs> yeah, anymore. Right? You know, I get to play with guitars all day. This mm-hmm. is so cool. And I would be working there. I worked there for a couple of years. Um, the one on Halstead mm-hmm. and you know, these dudes would come in and they'd be like in their forties or whatever. And they, they'd grab the brand new Les Paul or whatever, and they mm-hmm. put it down, and they'd be like, oh, man, so cool. And they obviously had nice clothes and money and shit mm-hmm. like that. Um, 
And he'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, you play whatever, you bullshit with them and find out what their deal is. And he's like, well, you know, I used to play through high school and college and then, you know, Life wife, family, job, you know mm-hmm. how that goes, right, bro? And I'm just like, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I, and I, I, I can't even tell you how many dozens of that guy mm-hmm. that I talked to when I worked there. And they'd all come in and they'd gra- they finally had the money because they got this job and they've been busting their dick and their mm-hmm. kids are now 12 or 13. And now they're like, I'm going to go, you know what? I, I should get back into playing guitar. And they're the fucking blues lawyer guy. It's like mm-hmm. the midlife crisis, man. <laughs> right. The guy who goes out and buys a Corvette because he wanted one when he was 16. Yeah. And it's like, well, how much were you in it when you were a kid that you could just say, well, you know, right. I got kids and, you know, life, life's happening, man. I got to put the guitar down. And mm-hmm. I was always like, it just kept fucking like another notch on the belt in my brain of like, do not ever be that guy. Because mm-hmm. that's bullshit, man. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so what? You just pissed away 20 years of your life sitting at a desk to get back to doing something that you've always enjoyed? Fuck that. We only get Completely, one of these fucking lies here, dude. man. Yeah, dude. It is, it's easy. It's easy to get, to get wrapped up in that shit. I sort of did that a little bit myself, but, you know, got out while the getting was good. The, and then, of course, the sad irony of this whole thing is that the blues lawyers are the ones that drive the whole gear industry. Without those guys and their money, we yeah. wouldn't be able to keep making stuff and selling stuff to people because no, fucking at day-to-day musicians don't have the money to buy a $4,000 Les Paul. They probably don't need one either unless you're on stage opening for acdc like maybe someone sitting here did yeah before. but that's yeah. false man if they made a a, a four thousand dollar guitar and nobody bought it guess what they ain't making any more four thousand dollar guitars for right? real yeah yeah you absolutely know? yeah it does i mean we're talking about gibson defender giant monolithic corporation right, right. there yeah there still could be more sort of like mon- boutique mom and builders, pop boutique and builders yeah, which is right. which it, it's weird because i i've definitely identify with boutique builders way more than I do with these giant corporations, but I just can't get away from Gibson guitars. It's so weird. I fucking wish well, I that, could. That one guy just closed up Danocaster, right? Danocaster. Yeah. He's making the fenders. He's, he's selling a shit on reverb for like five grand for like a strat. Thousands a and strat thousands remake. for like a beat up strat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which they're cool. Looking, they're very cool. But yeah, I don't damn, know. Bro. I'd rather put I'd rather my go-to put guitar is still my guild S 100. Oh yeah. Ooh. I got one too. Yeah. It's <laughs> 95. Great fucking guitars. Four ninety five. Yeah, you used to play. I think you I, when we played together. You were playing. Were you playing a V too? Yeah, I got a flying V. Twenty twelve ish. Traditional pro. Great guitar. Yeah, it is a good guitar. But those old guilds, they they. But they there's know nothing solid. That at least that I own. It's the. It's just the most solid playing guitar. That it's I, a perfect it's mix go-to. between a Les Paul and an SG. Yep, exactly. Which is like the the tear that I always had between those two guitars. Mm-hmm. I always played Les Pauls and SGs, and I'm like, God, I just want something that's like. Both. That's the guitar. I got it for five hundred bucks. And you know, I was like, I got a Les Paul for eight hundred bucks. I got a standard back a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it, it fucking rules. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And it blows my mind right now that what's a new standard? Twenty four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Like, holy shit. You could buy a vintage one for the same price as a new fucking crappy we one talk about robo tuners and all the time they're getting there like man. it's it's the it's that thing like do you want the brand new thing with the warranty or do you want the old one that's been played and has the mojo like we yeah. are we're, we're vintage boys around here for yeah, sure but a lot of people buy new guitars i guess you yeah. know i've spent a lot of money on a lot of gear but yeah. for guitars i always had a top budget of 600 bucks i feel really like more than 600 bucks for guitar dude what what's the point of diminishing returns right? yeah yeah i bought the gill that's 100 for yeah. less than 600 bucks pretty much every guitar i've owned except for that v. i don't think i bought a guitar for over a thousand dollars ever yeah. Unfortunately, I, yeah, I, I like that. I mean, that Martin definitely 
to get into an old Martin. You're, you're, I mean, I, the thing is, I've I spent didn't start thousands buying... on microphones, but never well, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. But the thing with vintage <laughs> guitars too, it's like if you were able to get in in the '90s, then you got some good shit at good prices. Yeah, the now 80s, the fucking yeah. market is just ridiculous. You, it's like very rare, and we're you know, Dave and I are sending links back and forth every day. Like, should this could this be the one? Should I fucking do it? Like, very rarely do you find those hot deals anymore because of the yeah. internet, man. It sucks. Yep. But also, I guess that's why we were able to have a fucking gear podcast so we can talk to people who like that that's shit right. too. That's right. I wanted to ask you a question when you were talking about, is it called breadboxing when you're like trying shit Breadboard. out? Breadboarding. Breadboarding. So you're trying shit out for hours and hours. Yeah. Have you ever had a time where like, like writing a song where you just give up on it? You're like, fuck, this isn't going to work. Uh, and what do you do when that happens? You know, you got to come back because your brain starts playing tricks on you. But stuff. let's say you come back the next day and you're like, I, will, I didn't think this thing was going to work anyways. Does, does, that, that, ever does happen? that happen? No, because I usually have a pretty pretty good idea of what i'm going after to begin with i mean you know you do your homework and you kind of i'm at the point now where i can just kind of map everything out Mm -hmm. you know i think the last thing that i did i actually sat down which blows my mind that i could do this but i actually sat down and wrote a schematic based on what i wanted to do and i knew enough about what i was doing and i wrote it down in it and then i then i built the breadboard of it and it fucking worked which i was like did that really just happen wow uh (laughs) Because, you know, originally it was like a fuzz face and I'd just be down there for hours like, oh, God, <laughs> this is so fucking confusing. And you change know. the value of the resistor <laughs> one by one. It's like negative grounded, positive ground transistors. Damn it. <laughs> what is PNP, this? NPN. Yeah. I was like, why do these shitty gerbatiums sound so bad? <laughs> All that stuff you got to just learn. Yeah. Learn trial and error. and That you saves know, you a lot of time and labor. Hitting your thumb with the hammer over right. and over. And, you know, it's like one little thing's fucked up and. You don't know enough to figure out what what it is. It's just all these components, and I don't know. It, it, but it's it's better to do that and figure it out on your own, and then you go, okay, got it. You know, you're in the right direction, right? And you know, I was building everything the first three years at least. I was building everything on stripboard, which is like you know, old school perforated, you know, whatever plastic mm-hmm. board with the copper traces underneath, which is considerably harder than just getting PCBs made and all that because you got to drill your trace cuts and And score it and crack it. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it it was really cool. And I would say that those first couple of years that I built pedals, those things sounded so fucking good compared to when I switched over to PCBs and started, you know, I refused to use board mounted anything. No board mounted ponts or switches or anything. I didn't want anything to break. Yeah. You know, so it was literally just, do you even build like daughter boards for like the, uh, switches or anything yeah. like that yeah yeah no yeah now now you do now yeah. we do yeah. and Get try to been connected because mm-hmm. i got i got to the point where i was getting so busy and me being one guy yeah i was like dude i got to streamline production or i'm gonna be here for fucking 10 years trying to build these orders <laughs> you <laughs> know pcb design that's where i was doing so much of the diy audio in the studio mm-hmm. that i started doing some pcb stuff and right are you using and eagle? i told john i said give me something to do i, I want to use yeah. eagle and get more familiar with it and practice and do some right. stuff and uh, well and things that i just aren't familiar with because i deal with pedals mm-hmm. but he deals with you know doing all these like pre's and everything he's yeah. like well man why don't you just you know use like a ribbon cable for your you know stuff like that where it's like that would save it a ass load of time and all it is is just going you know from to your switch and back yep. you know so it's not really like uh you're not compromising any of the quality of the pedal or anything mm-hmm. but you, know, you learn how to do it it's almost sort of like learning how to dj on vinyl and so then you can use like whatever serato bullshit or whatever where you press a button later it's like you know how to do it the right way but now you've sort of earned the the right to just use that ribbon cable Absolutely. and then you know how to fix it yeah so little things like that made it and it looks you know it looks tight and totally 
I can I can crank them out faster and all that stuff. So, you know, what about um, how did the how the Earl Slick thing happen? I'm a huge Bowie guy. I'm very curious about that one. Uh, he, you know, I'm buddies with all the Chicago music guys, or at the time I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one of the employees. Was you know took care of him when he Slick would always come in the store in Chicago, and one of the employees took care of him, and they were buddies and. He's like, hey, you know, he uh, he's kind of looking for like a pedal or something. And, you know, he wants he got rid of all his endorsements years back, and now he wants to have like a, a couple of things that are his. He wants a pedal that's like his thing. You know, he's like, would you up, you know, you'd be up for it? And I said, hell yeah. yeah. So we got in touch, and this has happened. Uh, to, I don't know. Yeah, I, and this is the weird. Right this now. is the weird thing in like my universe is, uh, like. I just get a phone call from Earl Slick, you know, and you know, you, you kind of assume like, you know, I'm like, okay, let me get my, uh, my notepad and, right. uh, like everybody shut up. You know, yeah. I'm like, this is, I don't know how this is going to go. This fucking thing. Hey man, blah, 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 blah. And then we talked for an hour, you know, and it was just like talking to Quentin about guitars, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, yeah, I got this pedal. I'm gonna send it to you. You know, I want you to do this and that. So Hey, what kind of stuff are you into? And you know, he's like, "Well, when I got my first SG, and it was like hanging out with a, a band mate or Fuck something." Yeah, that's awesome. And then I put the phone down. I'm like, "That was the craziest shit." <laughs> and he's totally that guy. And he's just, he'll tell you, you know, we always end up talking about like David Bowie and like just crazy stories where it's cool. And then you put the phone down and you go, "Holy shit, did we really just talk about that?" <laughs> you know? But yeah, awesome guy. He sent me this made in china multi-pedal thing Mm -hmm. that he'd been using and it sounded like crap and i basically just took what he wanted out of it and made it into an actual Hmm. hand-wired analog cool fucking pedal so you're sitting there listening to some fucking zoom multi-effect and then and then you're just like because you've been doing it for so long you kind of understand all right well if i put these components together it's probably going to get me pretty close well he wanted a fuzz and he wanted an octave and i'm Mm -hmm. like well i can make an octave that's fucking easy Mm -hmm. um I'm like, dude, I got like three fuzzes that are kick-ass that are my own circuit. Why don't I just send them to you and you play them and tell me what you like? And he's like, dude, that Supernova fuzz is awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool, man. Stuck that in the circuit, you know, and just kind of pieced it together. And I sent it to him. I sent him the prototype, you know, all not even with a PCB, just all like strip board and all mashed into a enclosure, barely even fit in there, all this shit. And I sent it to him. And a couple days go by, and he calls me. Hey, man, how's it going? You motherfucker. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> you know? And I didn't know him enough at the time, but apparently that's how he says everything. Uh, you know? He's like, the sign you of fucking yeah. nailed this bitch <laughs> in the ass. <laughs> you fucking killed it. Fuck you. You know, I was awesome. like, oh, okay, this is a good phone call. <laughs> it's a good fuck you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, oh, that's a sign of endearment if you're from fucking Manhattan, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and that was it, dude. Eddie's cool. We hung out and, um, yeah, stuff like that is fucking nuts. I remember, uh, yeah, I've just, things like that happen and you just kind of go with it because it's work. But you still go like, man, that was weird. I just I can't believe I just had a conversation with that guy. Cause you know, you eliminate like the fan rock star, any of that bullshit. Cause it's like, you're just talking about a common thing, mm-hmm. you know? So you don't have like a weird, like moment to go, 
hey man remember that one record uh, that was awesome you know like because you just like you're, well he's actually you remember when you're you're in the beatles yeah right that was cool. like i'm just <laughs> like chris farley wor- i'm in work mode yeah. you know well, so he's I'm in just, your world man yeah i'm just trying to like yeah. i'm like all right what do you need dude because right. like we're gonna do this we're gonna yeah. do that and i'm just like knocking it out yeah you know but at the same he's time he's probably geeking over your shit dude that's that thing. and that's what's fucking that's weird about so it cool. man and at the same time in the back of my head i'm like ask, ask him about john lennon you know, <laughs> like always yeah. say, like stuff Holy like that. Shit, like, dude. oh my god, dude. Uh, so yeah, it's That's like much, you get so, it's so not always you, a financial. Did you ask him? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that would come up. And here's here's one of the coolest things that he fucking told me. Slick said, uh, we "We're talking about all these people now, these trends with like forty pedals yeah. and all this bullshit, these huge boards." Mm. And he's like, "You know what, man? When I joined David fucking Bowie, I had a Marshall full stack." A 61 SG Junior and a fucking phaser pedal. And that was it. That was all the gear I had. Yeah. And I was on tour with David Bowie. Wow. You know, whatever year his, his junior was. It was original 63 Junior or something, one pickup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, that's all I owned. And people were like, hey, how come you only just use that, that you know, that old phaser and that guitar? He's like, that's what I owned. That's all I had. Yeah. yeah. You know? And he still has that guitar too, which is nuts. He bought it brand new in nineteen sixty whatever Jesus. at fucking Manny's in New York. Yeah. yeah. You know? Stories like that where it's like, wow, man, that's fucking cool, dude. That is super fucking cool. And then you listen to Bowie Live and it's slick playing, and the only effect that you hear that's on the fucking, fucking record is that fucking right. phaser pedal. And it's like, oh, that's what you, yeah, okay. When you see these dads trying to like recreate yeah. it and shit in their yeah. garage and they'll have like a full have, a full right. like refrigerator. Yeah, rack just twice as stuff. much shit and then like a huge pedal board right. and it's like no, that was a super lead and one pedal. Yeah. And a fucking SG with a turn it out, man. Right. So, uh, what's next? I mean, obviously, like, you've got a lot of pedals out there fucking kicking ass. Like, are, are, is there anything that you're sort of, you've got coming up or that uh, you're working on right now that you can talk about? Um, you know, there's a lot of ideas floating around. The hardest thing right now is to not get distracted by whatever the trends are, all the other bullshit that's going on, all the 50 million people that are, you know, quote unquote pedal brands, Mm -hmm. which half of it's fucking kids in their basement, you know, or college kids or whatever. Um, And that gets frustrating because you got to just, it's like the old adage from like old blues guys. It's like, just focus on your own shit and ignore all this other stuff. And like, dude, I don't build 20 knob fucking spacey $500 pedals. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. You know, like that's not my thing. I'm not a fucking engineer in Japan that does this shit. Totally. You know, like that's cool that people are that smart that can make this stuff and they're selling ridiculous amounts of money worth of pedals, you know, and I'm friends with a lot of these guys. I'm not into stuff like that. I've never used pedals like that. I don't care about shit like that and I'm never going to make stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's also frustrating to see, like, hey, I released this pedal, and I sold a thousand of them in the first twenty-four hours, Shit. and I just made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, and I sit here like, oh, oh man, fuck. Here, look, I made this one knob fucking vintage hand-wired pedal. You know, yep. and that it, it gets hard to keep your head like in the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because trends change. Everybody knows when we were in, you know, junior high and all your friends had these big fucking Digitech rack gear mm-hmm. bullshit. ADA MP1. Solid state preamps. <laughs> I and just fucking great cats. You did? Yeah, for right. what? Probably like 
four or five hundred bucks now. And everybody had double locking trims. Yeah, three fifty. You know, Jacksons and right. Uh, and then after like you know September of ninety one, what happened? Everybody went Nirvana. Oh, fuck. Yep. I just need a distortion. I need a DS one. DS one. And then what happened to all that other bullshit and their Jacksons and all the pointy guitars? Mm-hmm. Where did that go? God. Oh, okay. Now every pawn shop in America has this four foot tall rack of bullshit, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Just like when Eddie Van Halen came out and all of a sudden you could get a, a 59 Les Paul for 300 bucks yep. because oh, everybody wanted a fucking, you know, double Kramer. locking Kramer, you know? So like that shit is going to shift. Avoiding the trends. And in You're five years from now, there's going to be some kid in his bedroom with this fucking $8,000 pedal board with every Strymon pedal on mm-hmm. it. And he's going to go, oh man, what am I going to do with this, man? I'm st- that's not cool anymore. Yeah, it's collecting dust. I'm supposed to be playing a JMP and a Les Paul. Right. Yep. That's always been true. And that's, I mean, it's wishful thinking, and I could really care less. But at the same time, I'm just gonna keep doing. I like vintage shit. I like things that are simple. When I'm playing a show, I'm not gonna bend down and figure out like which dip switch I'm supposed to hit on my my tri flange fucking chorus whatever the fuck pedal Mm -hmm. it is. You know, no offense to those guys, but like, oh no, talk shit about chorus pedals. I don't. (laughs) I, I don't see that as practical. Yeah. And I would never do that, so why bother? Mm-hmm. If I'm not going to use it, I'm not going to build it. It's not anything about making money or tapping into trends. You know, I've literally seen bands where it's just one person and 30 pedals on these giant fucking things, mm-hmm. and they're looping things, and they're doing all this, and you can't help but think that, like, if this pedal board got lost on the flight over or something, be able to this motherfucker could not walk out on stage and play a show because literally their entire show is just this digital fucking wash of noise you know i got a great 88 mp1 uh story oh since please you, since you mentioned it. that oh, yeah. um so i inherited a bunch of studio gear a few years ago uh-huh. and i had a mesa power amp 16.2 power amp and the 88 mp1 mm-hmm. and wasn't really using it so kind of offloaded it sold everything and then i had a band in the studio and they had mentioned wanting to do some ride the lightning style guitars mm-hmm. So I started doing some research just to see if there's any information about it. That was one of Kirk Hammett's things. And supposedly, from what I read, that was done with an 80 amp one into a Mesa Power the Amp. Mesa, the Power Amp, I think it was a it was a Mesa Mark II C+, but they just ran into the effects 80, loop yeah. and of that. I it was sold everything right before those guys came No in. shit. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't do the Fleming Rasmussen the and the Yeah, yeah. No. It was, uh, That's funny. I didn't know that until there is so much lore on the internet about those first three Metallica records and the guitar tones and how they got them. Like, r- r- finally, the dude released all of his studio notes so you could see exactly oh, really? what it was. Yeah, and of course, cool, I read right? through all those handwritten fucking oh, yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. But and 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 Q is right on the money. Like they were using a lot of times it was either an ADA MP1 or a JMP slaved into the Mesa power amp. So it was like the Marshall preamp section mm-hmm. to the Mesa power section. That's cool. And that's uh, that's that Metallica sound, baby. After I read that, I kind of wish I didn't get rid of that stuff. Dude, the rest, it's, it it's, but but the fuck that thing. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) We don't need MP1s anymore. Um, Well, shit, man. Uh, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like we talked about a lot of good stuff. Actually, you know what? Fuck that. I stopped, I stopped Johnny from telling some pretty cool stories outside. Yeah. um, About rock star shit that I want to hear about. So dude, I want to hear it. Tell me, tell me about playing with ACDC, please. If you don't mind. Talking about Marshalls. Yeah. (laughs) So, oh, there's Sophie. Hey, sweetheart. Uh, of course, I had to dork out and go, you know, because when you play at that level, you, you walk under the stage because the stage is like fucking seven feet high, mm-hmm. right? So I go underneath and there's just all these racks of martial heads. And I'm just, you know, I don't want to get in the way. This is like not my turf, but at the same time, I want to just 
dive in there and look at all oh, this shit, yeah. right? So I'm like, hey, man, can I just stand there and look at those? You know? He's like, yeah, go ahead. So I walk up and it's... You it's, feel the heat coming dude, off yeah. the tubes. It's <laughs> three racks of Marshall Jan, uh, 1973 Super Leads. Mm-hmm. So there's nine of those. 100 watts. They're all the same year, 100 watts, and the volume is on seven for each one of them. Oh, oh my God, God, dude. That's just Angus. <laughs> And then there's a there's a 50 watt Wizard and a 50 watt small box Marshall 1987, um, and those go to ISO cabs that are for front of house. Okay. Um, so the, those other nine are just for the stage sound. Every cab that you see on stage with an ACDC concert is plugged in live. Holy no dummies. Shit. No dummy cabs. So each Marshall goes to a cab and is on seven. So and here's the really crazy thing. So Angus has 11 heads. Malcolm only has seven. Right, um, only right so on the <laughs> on Angus's side of the stage. The top row of Marshall cabs of the full stacks are Angus's cabs, and the bottom row is Malcolm's cabs. No kidding. And then on the, Malcolm's side, they flip flop it. So oh, the man. bottom row on Malcolm's side is Angus's guitars, and then you know there's like an eight ten or a couple eight tens on each side of the drum riser. That shit's all live, dude. That's insane. so they're oh they go to sound check. And I'm like, dude, we got to go watch Soundcheck, right? It's not the band, but, it, you know, they're tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we walk right up front. You know, our head is like, our chin is at like the edge of the stage or whatever it is. And they're playing, and it's just the loudest shit ever, dude. It's so loud. And his tech is like 6'3", and Angus's guitar is like almost <laughs> yeah, touching right. his chin, you know? <laughs> and they're just playing. He's just playing the guitar, and it's deafening loud. I was like, oh, my God, dude, this fucking rules. And then... The guy, you know, the front of house guy goes, okay, we're going to turn the front of house on now. Dude, that was just their just stage, the stage volume. Oh my God. That was just like, you know, 10 full stacks <laughs> on seven with all these fucking... You know, Your eyelids are flapping. 15 marshals, right? And it was one of those things where I'm just standing there like, I'm hearing Angus's guitar through their fucking rig in front of my face. You're hearing what he hears. Yeah, and yeah. it sounds like... That the the thing it's yeah. the fucking yeah. tone you know yeah that's it and then I went on to Malcolm's side and I walked down and his tech is restringing his Gretsch his original fucking Gretsch oh, the Malcolm Gretsch which they just reissued and I'm standing there staring at it and I'm just like holy shit and I didn't want to like ask him to touch it I don't want to fuck around just like one show we're the local you know whatever fucking bullshit band you know but at the same time I'm thinking like man I should have asked that guy I'd be like dude can I just get a photo or, you know, like I should have asked him, but I was, I didn't want to overstep my balance, yeah. you know, but anyways, there it was. And that was the fucking last show we played. That wow. is the craziest you part know? about it. Malcolm's yeah. final show, man. And it was cool. And I remember at the end of the, before we played or after we played, whatever, the, one of their guys came in and he goes, there you go guys. And he just threw a handful of ACDC picks down on the table for Fuck us. Yeah. And cool. I was like, that's fucking rad. Yeah. They know, they know what you want. Yeah. And, there was a table outside their dressing rooms. You know, big bands do this, and there's just shit that needs to get signed for radio stations mm-hmm. or whatever. So I, I thought ahead of time, um, Epiphone had sent me an SG, because like a year before, we, we did a deal with Gibson. So they're like, hey, we'll send you an SG. Check it out. It's Epiphone. Cool. Uh, so I checked it out. It was terrible. But uh, <laughs> so I had this SG brand new in a case in my closet, and I'm like, I'm going to bring that with and get it yeah. signed, dude. So Fuck I brought yeah. this SG, and I asked their tour manager, I'm like, hey, man, can I put this on the table? 
And so I got the whole original fucking band what? to sign a guitar. Dude. And then here, this is the last funny story. I, I come out on stage, we play the first song, you know, and we're on this big metal stage way off the fucking ground, and it's, we're the only opening band. The arena's completely sold out. Everybody's in the arena before we go on stage. Oh, it's like 25,000 people. Holy shit, dude. And they all have Angus horns on and everything. And they're like, <laughs> okay, you guys are up. And I walk out. I'm like, you know, usually when you play with big bands, it's like your first of three or four. Yeah, right. And there's like a couple, you know, maybe a thousand people. And you're like, well, all right, whatever. This was like, you're, we might as well have been the headliners. It was fucking sold out, Holy right? Holy shit. We're freaking out. We play our first song. Second song, it's like there's this big build up intro and then the song kicks in right and so right when the song kicks in i fucking bang my head down real hard and like totally nail this chord right like big rock fucking burn and uh i had this necklace with like a big bullet on it and so the second tune i fucking slam into this tune with this big chord and this necklace flies up and stabs me in the eye <laughs> oh shit <laughs> and my contact lens flies out of my eyeball right <laughs> And I'm oh like, God. oh, God. And I'm still playing because I'm in front of 25,000 people. And I'm just oh, like, all right, shit. you know. And at the same time, I look down and I'm like eight feet off the ground. And it, there's no like railing, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, just keep playing. Don't fall off stage. <laughs> I know you can't. You, I can see one eye. Yeah. So I had to play the whole rest of the set like oh. kind of squinting. <laughs> I can't see shit. And I don't want to fall off the stage. And I can only see half, you know. <laughs> And then the worst part is I had to watch ACDC with just one contact one lens. Yeah, that's brutal. You dude. know, like, I, I was, I'm so blind without him. And it was just one of those things like, damn it, of all the dumbass shows. Of all the times. <laughs> you took a bullet to the fucking eyeball. I, yeah, you literally ACDC. took a bullet to the My eye. My dumbass stabbed myself in the eyeball with a necklace playing one of the, probably the coolest show I've ever played in my fucking that's life. That's unreal, so, dude. You know. There's uh, no way we're gonna top that. We, <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just gonna stop right there. Thanks so fucking much for being here. Yeah, guys, guys. Really Daredevil fun. Pedals, man. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us in here. Yeah, and, thank you, uh, Quentin, for bringing me down. Let me babble on for for hours. About where can uh, where can people find your stuff? Everywhere, man. It's out there. There's the Reverb Store. There's the website. It's in a bunch of dealers all over. Um, yeah, send me an email. How about that? I think people like that the most. They're like, wow, I emailed you and you got back to me. Actually wrote me back. Daredevilpedals.com. Right. What's the email address? Daredevilpedals at Gmail. Daredevilpedals at Gmail. Tell them what's up, man. Post some stuff. Let's let's geek out on Fuzz, man. Fuck yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.